0: And good morning, church. Good morning. good morning. I spoke with Pastor John before coming up, and I got his permission. And I shared with him during worship, during the last song, God just gave me a picture of Jesus stepping in. And he stepped in like a lion on fire. And I want you to hear this He stepped up on this platform full of beauty full of power his eyes were piercing engulfed in flames and the lord spoke to me through that picture and he said i've got everything under control amen, amen. jesus help everything under control. And I believe today as we get into the word of God, whatever fears, concerns, worries, doubts, the Lord of heaven is stepping into your situation. And he says, I have everything under control. Can we give him some praise? (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we're jumping into your word. God, I know you're ready to meet with us, Lord. And God, I pray that as we unpack your word, that you would bless it by the anointing of your spirit. God, I thank you that your word never returns void. God, when you send it out, it changes lives. God, I believe demonic thoughts and strongholds will be broken today. Lord, I believe you are going to change lives today. God, I believe you're going to give a new understanding of your word today. And God, we pray against the work of the enemy. Lord, the enemy would like to twist scripture, manipulate scripture, cause fear and concern and doubt, but Jesus, you are in control. And so, God, we surrender this service this time to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Today, we are jumping back into the book of Ephesians. And if you remember last week, Pastor Mike opened it up, and we learned several things about this book. Number one, we learned that Paul was the author. Paul authored this book. Number two, we learned that the church was under attack. It was under attack both from the outside. Believers were persecuted. They had lost businesses. They had lost land. Families were being separated. And Paul himself was a perpetrator of this persecution. He attacked churches. He attacked Christians. But not only was the church being attacked from the outside, they faced attacks from the inside. You see, Jewish Christians began looking at non-Jewish Christians. The Bible refers to them as Gentiles, and they thought of them as second-class citizens. Well, you're not a Jew. You you didn't grow up with the scriptures. You didn't grow up knowing the Lord. You you just kind of came in, and and so we're really the chosen ones, and, and you guys are just over here on the side. And so these group of Christians in Ephesus, they're facing the outward persecution, but they're also facing inward rejection from the body of Christ and as we get ready to go into the word Paul would use this letter as not only as a source of encouragement for this church but for all churches because soon some of the darkest times in church history was approaching you see the Roman government which was in control at this time it was the world superpower eventually began placing Christians in the gladiator pits Many were torn apart by lions, some were decapitated by swords, and others were pulled apart and split in half by horse-drawn chariots. The Christian church was under attack. And as we get ready to unpack God's word today, we are going to touch on several heavier themes here. And what Paul meant as a source of encouragement for the early believers and for us, Satan today tries to use these words and these passages to create doubt, to create fear, to create depression. And and we're going to see that as we unpack this word, God gives us incredible hope for any time period that we live in. So if you stick with me, I promise you will be able to see God's word in a whole new way. You'll see God's love in a whole new way. And I promise if I could get through this, I'll get you outside. Now now you know my secret for kids ministry. If I could get through this message, we'll go outside and play. It works every time. (laughs) All right, so if we have our Bibles, if you're following along on the app, we are opening up to Ephesians chapter one, verse two. Three. That's where we're starting today. I'm reading from the ESV translation, and I will also at times um, quote the Amplified and sometimes the NLT. The scriptures should always be posted on the board for you. Paul opens the letter. Blessed be the God, or in the Amplified says, He is worthy of praise, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul opens this letter with worship. Before he addresses any problem in the church, before he addresses anything that people are going through or writes a source of encouragement, Paul is teaching the church of Ephesians, of Ephesus and the church at wide. We start with worship. Whatever problem we're going through, we can turn to Jesus in worship, and it changes our focus. He writes in this letter, and I'm going to pull a few different words out, that he has blessed us in Christ. He has chosen us in love. He's predestined us. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word that starts to create fear. We'll unpack that. To the praise of his glorious grace. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down or highlight this. This will not be on the board. But the lens which we interpret the Bible should always point to how great God is not how great we are. I want to say that again. Paul opens this letter with praise. How great is our God because he's chosen us, he's blessed us in love, he's predestined us. God is in control. You guys are sleeping. <laughs> the Lord who created the heavens and the earth by a spoken word, is in control of not just this church, of not just the church, of not just America, but everything. And the Bible declares that one day, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Christ is in control. So the lens which we interpret the Bible should always point to how great God is, not how great we are. I love this analogy. I heard this recently. This is called cat and dog theology. How many of you have a cat? Raise your hand. I'll pray for you. How many of you have a dog? All right, that's team Jesus. (laughs) Cat and dog theology. If you have a cat and you take care of them, if you have a dog and you take care of them, you can feed them, you can pet them. Dogs, you walk them. If you walk your cat outside, I'll look at you funny. But if you take care of a cat and you do everything for the cat and you love on the cat, you know what the cat thinks? Man, I must be really great. This person loves me. I'm I'm, I'm pretty special. On the flip side, when you take care of a dog... When you love on a dog and you walk a dog and you feed a dog, man, when you show up, the world lights up because they think, wow, you are so amazing. We need to have more dog theology when it comes to the word of God. (laughs) Amen. And not cat theology, because here's what happens. If we have cat theology, we're not starting with the right focus. What happens is we begin to look at the word of God and we say, wow, I'm so great. I'm so special. God has predestined me. I must be important. The word of God is all about me. Jesus came off his throne and died for me. The universe revolves around me. That's not the gospel. We need to start with the right focus when we interpret scripture and we need to look at the word of God like a dog looks at us and says, how great is our God? Paul begins the letter to a church in turmoil and shifts their focus. Can I encourage you today, no matter what this country's going through, no matter what you're going through, shift your focus. How great is our God? As we continue reading, it says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. This phrase describes both the kind of blessing, it's spiritual, and the source of that blessing in Christ. It's a spiritual blessing in Christ. And as we said, the early church was facing persecution inside and out. Many homes were lost, wealth was lost, land was lost, families were torn apart. And Paul was echoing the words of Peter who reminded the believers that heaven was something that could never be taken away. Heaven is something that can never be grasped from you. The world might be able to take your rights. The world might be able to dictate whether or not you wear a mask. The world might be able to choose whether or not you get a vaccine. The world may choose everything in your life, but it can never choose your position before Jesus. <clears throat> Heaven cannot be taken. First Peter one, three through five says this, all praise to God. How's Peter opening this letter? All praise to God. Shift your focus, Church. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we were born again. Whose great mercy? His great mercy. We've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we live with a great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. I want you to hear that. You can't put a dollar sign on what Jesus offers us. We have a priceless inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay. Church, I want to tell you that life feels like it's in flux right now. There is a lot going on in this country there is a lot going on in this world. Some of you might be feeling unstable, unsecure. You might be worried for your children. Shoot, I don't even have children and I'm still worried for them one day. Life doesn't always feel great. But if you belong to Jesus, you have a treasure that cannot be touched. God is holding something for you that no man can place his hands on. And we need to shift our focus from what's in front of us to who goes before us. Jesus stepped on this stage today as a lion full of power and declares, I'm still in control. We can trust in Jesus. You see, Paul opened up this letter, the book of Ephesians, by saying to the church, You can learn to worship through your pain. You can learn to worship God through your pain. Life doesn't always have to be good. Things don't always have to be perfect. The world may not have your back. Shoot, other Christians might look at you and judge you unfairly. But you can worship God through your pain, and He's still in control. Is this speaking today? Some of you are awake. We offer free coffee right outside. You can get that after church. We're going to keep reading the scripture. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Believers are chosen by God and they are chosen before they become anything and before they've done anything. I'm going to say that again. Paul echoes this. He says, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world, before this world was ever created, Jesus Christ put his finger on you. The Holy Spirit touched you. You belong to Jesus. And nothing can change that. And listen, we don't want to diminish what Paul's writing here. Jesus Christ has especially chosen you if you belong to his family. For years, Christians have struggled with this context because there's a lot of verses that make them feel uncomfortable. And theologians and pastors and those who went to seminary have argued over this. Well, does God get the right to choose who goes into heaven? Or do we as Christians, do we get to choose who goes into heaven? Who, who has the ultimate choice? Who is really in control? Is God sovereign, controlling all things, picking all things, deciding all things? Or do we play a role in that? And we're going to break this down a little bit in today's message, because I don't want you to walk away from this scripture in fear. Remember, Paul said this was an encouragement to his church. When you're going through suffering, it helps to know that God picked you. When life hurts, when things feel uncomfortable, when stuff isn't fair, when a job promotion has passed you up, when the news of cancer has caught up with you, when you've heard somebody you love has been diagnosed with COVID. I got that call this weekend that that a young kid, 18 years old, family's upset, freaking out, because he's throwing up. When you hear these stories, when life is in flux, it helps to know God has chosen you. You belong to Jesus. So we're going to break down the three camps of thought. Camp number one, it's called the Armenian camp. This, This camp emphasizes that it is man's free will that decides God's eternal plan. That every single person, whether born, not born, whatever, they choose where they stand before Christ. God doesn't have a role in that, they choose. That's thought number one. Thought number two, Calvinism says that we don't actually have a free will to choose. God chooses all things and he's in control of all things. This camp emphasizes the sovereignty of God over man's free will. And can I tell you, both of these camps are backed by scripture. So which one is it? Do we choose or does God choose? Well, the answer is it's both. And we're gonna break that down because that is our church's viewpoint. There's a danger in both camps as well because one camp says that in the Armenian camp, I can bend God's will to do anything if I just pray enough, if I just give enough, if I just fast enough. That's a danger because now we're saying that if we do our part, we can control God. The danger on the other side for the Calvinist camp says that God is in control of all things so I can sit back and do nothing. It doesn't matter whether I preach. It doesn't matter whether I share the gospel at work. It doesn't matter if I pray. God's in control of all things so I can sit back, trust him, do nothing, be inactive, and just come as a consumer. You see, there's danger in both sides. Both take us to the extreme. So we want to come back to the middle. Our view is the middle ground. Salvation does ultimately come from God. The Bible teaches that he is sovereign, meaning there is nobody in authority higher than him. He is in absolute control. And how we respond to his grace impacts our position before him. Does that make sense? Both camps are married. God is in control, that is true. But he also gives us an opportunity to respond to his love Sometimes God does have the right to override our own decision. Isn't that a good thing? Right? I, I don't know about you. I've, there's been times I've made a mess in my life and it wasn't for Jesus I wouldn't be here today. You guys heard my testimony back on Easter. God has a right to sovereignly override our decision. We see that in the life of Paul when he was Saul. he was persecuting the church. He hated them. He thought they were blaspheming God. He was trying to destroy them. He got papers to bring them in chains and throw them in prison. He did everything he could to destroy the church. And you know what Jesus did? He overrode Paul and said, Paul, I've chosen you. So God holds that right. He's still in control. He's still sovereign. But ultimately, we rest in him. Paul later on in the book of Ephesians verses two through nine says, salvation is not a reward for the good works we've done. That way no man can boast. You see, this is a hard passage because when you talk to Christians that have never approached this verse before or verses like that, they're like, well, no, I chose God. I I made a decision for God. Well, it's both. God picked you first. You responded to his grace. We should never come to a point where we become prideful of our own independent decision because if it wasn't for God, we would be in the same spot as an unbeliever. I want you to hear that. If it wasn't for God, we would be in the same spot as an unbeliever. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would not be in this church. Listen, there are far better things I could do with my time if I didn't believe in Jesus, if Jesus didn't pick me and change me and save me, and if I didn't respond to that, there's other stuff I could be doing but God steps into our lives. He changes us. He cleans us up, and then he turns us around to be a blessing to others. I believe that's why I wasn't here when this church was founded, but that's why they say, love God, serve all. God changes us, and we can be a blessing to others. So remember what I said, stick with me, because we're going to break this down just a little bit further. God is gonna do a work in us. Some people still struggle with this idea that God gets to choose. And it's mostly because we live here in America, here in the West, and we believe that America's voting rights should impact the kingdom of God. That's why we have so many church denominations that pick and choose from scripture. Well, I believe in this, or I don't believe in this, and let's hang a rainbow flag outside this building. Let's call that back. No, listen, God's kingdom... Is not up for our voting decision. God is a king. He is sovereign. He is always in control. And if we don't like that, guess what the Bible says about that? We're his enemy. The king of this universe is either our greatest friend or we stand as his enemy. But let's explore the alternatives, alternatives, (laughs) just for fun. The Bible says that if people chose who goes to heaven, none of us would go to heaven. Romans 3.10 says, no one chooses God, no one seeks God, all have turned away. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. If humans got to choose who goes to heaven, none of us would go according to the Bible. We would all reject God and we would only choose his blessings. I'm going to say that again. If it was up to humans, the Bible says we would all reject God, but we would all want his benefits. There may be some Christians that you're aware of that act like that right now. Well, I haven't totally surrendered to God, but I heard he can make me wealthy, he can make me healthy, he can protect my family, and my kids will grow up to be good people. God is just not looking to impact your life today. He's looking to change everything about who you are because everything about who we are as people, God looks at as sinful and dirty. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Every person apart from Jesus stands condemned to hell. Every person apart from Jesus stands condemned to hell. So if we choose, none of us go to heaven. Option number two is Satan and demons choose. None of us would go to heaven. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 in the NLT says this, that Satan, this is Paul writing, who is the God of this world. Paul is not, I'm going to clarify, Paul is not calling Satan God. Paul is saying that the world worships Satan and has made him God. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ and who is in the exact likeness of God. If Satan and demons got to choose who goes to heaven, nobody would go to heaven. All of us would go to hell. It says he has blinded the eyes. He is intentionally holding people captive. Option number three. This leaves us with the last option and the best option. If God chooses, some of us will go to heaven. John 10, 10, let's finish that verse. It says that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come so that they may have life and have it to the half. Somebody corrected me quick. They may have it to the full. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. John 6, says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up in the last day. Romans 8, 29 says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It didn't say predestined to become a good person. It didn't say predestined to become a successful businessman or woman. It didn't say predestined to just be who you are. It said he predestined us to become like his son. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. You know what? This should give us great hope. Because if we got to choose who went to heaven, None of us would go. If Satan and demons had a choice And who goes to heaven, none of us would go. But if God gets to choose, we have a chance to stand before a righteous and holy king who pronounces us free from guilt. Some of you are sleeping because you don't know how good that is. If God gets to choose, let's break this down in a practical way. Maybe this will pull at your heart. That means every aborted child has a chance before God. And why do I say that? Because every aborted child never got a chance to hear the gospel. So we're going to get into how does God choose? And why was Paul preaching this message? Reminding you that the church was going through the worst time in their lives. Attacked by people, attacked by other believers, but he reminded them that they were deeply loved by God. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what, you look or what life looks like. You, if you belong to Jesus, are deeply loved by God. He chose you. And it's that love that sent Jesus to the cross. And it's that love that compelled the disciples to preach the gospel despite what it would cost them. It's that love that gave Christians hope despite hardship and loss and death that certainly awaited them. They were chosen and they were loved. You are chosen and you are loved. And one of the main traps that this can create that Satan will use today is saying, oh, well, I'm chosen by God. I must be better than other people. That's that cat theology coming back. When the Bible talks about Satan took the form of the snake, it really, the Greek is translated that it was a cat. (laughs) Don't quote me on that. But Satan will try to use this chosen and and selected and consecrated as a trap that makes us feel better than other people or superior to other people. And Paul was arguing against that. In fact, he was telling the non-Jewish Christians, listen, God has elevated you. Yes, the Jewish people, they were God's chosen people. They still are. God equaled you out. You're not lesser. We're the same in Christ. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your financial status is. We are the same in Christ. Jesus, the great equalizer, brought us together. And God's love should break our hearts to reach the lost. Again, we said one of the dangers of Calvinism, we can sit back and do nothing. Remember, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would be in the exact same spot as unbelievers God wants us to love others around us we ultimately don't know who is saved and who isn't I can't control that Billy Graham couldn't control that the Holy Spirit draws people and for some reason I'm not God but if I was God I might change some things God chooses to work through us he doesn't need us but he invites us along the way to love others. Let's keep going. As we continue, the verse says that we should be holy and blameless before him. Not only did God bless us and choose us, but he did it for the purpose of making us like his son. We're not just chosen for salvation, but we're also chosen for holiness right standing before the Lord. And any understanding of God's sovereign choosing that diminishes our personal responsibility for holiness and sanctification falls short of the entire message of Christ. That's a lot. All that's saying is, just because God chose you doesn't mean we can sit back and do nothing. We need to strive after Jesus every single day. So how does God choose people? The verse says this, he chose people in love. He predestined us for adoption. How does God choose people? In love. God does everything for us, for the world, for the universe, he does it from a point of love. In the Roman world, adoption was a common culture that took place. And and the Bible pulls from that same analogy. See, in the Roman world, when families would adopt a child, what would happen is they would strip that child's right of that previous family. You do not belong to that family. That background does not belong to you. You will never have that last name. There is no association. It went to the point of every debt that that family came from is now cut clean from you. Whatever trouble they got themselves in is now separated from you when God adopts us into his family. Every past mistake, every decision in our life, every hurt, hang-up, and brokenness, Christ strips that away in that moment and says, you now belong to my family. You are holy. You are blameless. You are not broken. You're not a mistake. You were created. You were chosen. You were foreknown, and I put my hand on you. You are deeply loved by God. And and sometimes we miss the full meaning of what adoption provides for us. So I'm going to say that one more time. Every hurt, every bad habit, every hang-up, every mistake every drug addiction, every abuse, every failed relationship, every failed business decision, all of that is stripped away at the cross of Jesus. Because God loves you. Worship team, don't get confused. Because I'm going to say in closing, but that doesn't really mean that. (laughs) just means I'm trying to re-get your attention. If I were to summarize this message and break it down into three points, and, and that's all you could walk away with, I want you to hold on to this. Number one, when I look at the Bible, I see how great our God is and how bad we are as people. We would not choose God, God chose us. We would not worship God, God walked among us and we killed him. We rejected him. We didn't want his kingship because we were too invested in our own personal kingdoms. The Bible shows how great God is and how bad we are as people. Number two, God has chosen us in love, adopted us into his family. We are freed from guilt, shame, and every condemnation from our past lives. There is a clean slate. There's a separation. Jesus made you a part of his family. Number three, God desires for us to share the gospel with others. We cannot afford to be passive. Yes, God is sovereign, yes, God is in control, but God works through imperfect people and the Lord wants to use you, a part of his family, to start going out and talking to your neighbors, talking to your coworkers, talking to your family, and sharing the good news. You cannot save anyone. I want you to hear this. I I am an intellectual. I love to study more than I give off. I have come up with great arguments. I have a great apologetic background. I can can keep toe-to-toe with people who don't believe. But unless the Holy Spirit touches a person's life, the Bible says that the God of this world blinds their eyes. We are not responsible for how people respond to the gospel message. We are only responsible for being faithful to deliver it in love. So take that weight off. You're only the messenger, you're not the author. I want you to hear that again. You're only the messenger, you're not the author. So stop trying to compromise God's word to make people feel comfortable in the church. Let's surrender to Jesus. I also wanted to say this, and I debated whether or not I was going to say it. We are really getting towards closing. For two years, some churches have been closed on Easter. That is a demonic attack from Satan. I want you to hear this. Paul, the same author of this letter, has called us the body of Christ. And a lot of people think, well, church should just be online. Just be online. Well, this is what happens when church is just online. Church becomes only a mouthpiece. And we diminish the word of God that says all of us have a personal responsibility to be the light and salt in this world. When the church is shut down and it's only an online service, the body is paralyzed and crippled. But when the church of Jesus Christ is opened up, God moves his body. So for real, in closing, I'm gonna put an object lesson on the screen. We can get the door up there. We talked a lot about predestination. We, We understand that God chose us and we have a personal responsibility to respond. Some people sitting here or watching online may still have a hard time with this concept. So this is why I put the door on the screen, and this is how I teach it to your children. I did this on Easter Sunday. Every single one of us have a door. What are our doors used for? What? Entrance? You guys are sitting far away. You need to speak up. In and out protection. What else? Keep things out, but also to keep things in. Every single one of us decide who comes into our house, into our apartment, into our vehicles. The Lord Jesus gets to decide who comes into heaven. God is protecting his family, and Jesus has decided. God has decided. John 3, 16 declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whosoever whosoever that's an open-ended statement whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life this is an open invitation God, in his foreknowledge, has predestined that Jesus would be the only door that gives us access to the Father. He is the only door that creates us in a position where we're right standing before God. And all of us will one day have to stand before the door of Jesus. And only our response to that door, can we put it back on the screen? Only our response to that door will determine our position before God. It's not by works. It's not by being born in a Christian family. It's not by coming to church on a Sunday or attending online or or reading Bible verses. It's did we surrender to Jesus? I want to clear up some verbiage We don't make a decision for Christ. When we come before the door, we surrender to Jesus. Christ is not saying, oh, well, I must be the best option for you. Christ is saying, I'm going to take all of you, and I'm going to transform you, and you're going to follow me, and you're going to do what I tell you to do, nothing else. So I'm asking you today, as the Lord is here, and we've brought you before the door, have you surrendered to Jesus, or have you only made a decision before Him? Have you given God your everything, or have you, like a knickknack, just put them on your car dashboard? The only way to have a right standing before a holy God is complete surrender so before we make the altar call I want to leave you with the big idea that no matter what you're facing you are not an afterthought you have been chosen in love by God So if you're here today and maybe that's your first time hearing the message of Christ in in this way, Maybe, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I'm also talking to you who said, I made a decision for Christ. You've never surrendered everything to Jesus. Jesus is standing in here today. He's with us today. He's present with us today. He says, I have everything under control. Are you ready to finally surrender? So with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, I'm not gonna call you to the front, but this is gonna be a two-part call. Number one, if, if you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm gonna rephrase that. See, that's, that's bad church language again. If you're ready to surrender fully to Jesus, there are cards in front of your chair, red cards. You can fill them out. That, that only tells us that you made that surrendering statement and you're saying, God, I want all of you and you can have all of me that that's not for our benefit that helps us walk with you in this process that's what god has called us as pastors and teachers to do make sure you fill out that card and you can leave it in the offering box in the back but the second part of this prayer is i'm talking to the ones that you've trusted god you believe he's sovereign but you've set back and you said, God, I'm not going to do anything because you got it all under control. I don't need to reach the lost. Maybe I don't need to talk about you. Maybe, maybe I've compromised the truth so that my friends will like me. Jesus is asking for a full surrender. So we're going to repent. Father God, I pray for those right now who are surrendering to you in their own way. Some of them, they're just coming to the cross. God, I I thank you for their salvation. Lord, others of us, we've we've been passive in our faith and, and we haven't taken you seriously. We've compromised truth and the time is running out. God, help us to love people more than we love ourselves. Help us to become comfortable being uncomfortable speaking the truth of the gospel, like the early church, despite what it would cost them, because we trust at the end of the day, we belong to you and you are fully in control. So Lord, as we worship you in this next moment, as the worship team gets ready to play, keep pulling at our hearts. Help us respond to your call. In Jesus' name, amen.